0: Publishing a book is a victory, but it's not the end. After you sweep up the confetti and wash the champagne flutes, what's next? Authoring Onward is the podcast about those steps after your first publication. Going from published author to having a long-term writing career. And that has no clear endpoints and plenty of ups and downs. But telling stories for the long term is so, so worth it. Sit back, listen, and together, let's author Onward. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Authoring Onward. I'm one of your hosts, Connie B. Dowell, author, editor, and book coach. And I am also lucky enough that uh, my co host, Joy E. Held, was able to join us for the interview portion this week. She is also an author, editor, and book coach. And this week, we talked to Marjorie R. Hudson um, about a lot of different topics. We had a really great chat, so a little bit of a longer episode this time, but I think you will enjoy it. Um, we talked about how she became drawn to Southern fiction, despite not having been born in the South, but having moved there later, about finding that sense of community, which is so important for writers and their development. We talked about how she launched her first book at almost 70 years old, and some of the unique benefits of being in that situation, and so, so much more. So listen on for this discussion and a short excerpt of her book. All right, well, today on the podcast, we are delighted to talk to Marjorie Hudson. Welcome, Marjorie.
1: Thank you. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah, it's good to have you on. Would you like to tell us a little bit um, about who you are and what you write?
1: Yeah, so I am a newcomer to the South as of uh, about 30 years ago. Um, And so I grew up in a small town in in, uh, Illinois, in Northern Illinois, and grew up in Washington, D.C., and moved south. Um, because I fell in love with it. I just came for a visit, and I uh, was an editor of a national nature magazine, and it got a little too ironic for me that I didn't get to go outside during daylight hours, as people who live in Washington, of course, are very involved in their careers, and they work way too hard. So I came to visit a friend, and um, I visited a farmhouse. She wanted to rent, and A rainbow formed over the farmhouse and I gave 30 days notice and moved south. So I fell in love with the place where I live right away. And uh, my husband says I'm a born again southerner um, because I love potluck suppers and small town parades and things like that. And North Carolina became a muse for me for a different kind of writing. I started writing poetry you know, lyric lines inspired by place. Um, and I started uh, um, turning to fiction at one point. Um, and uh, I didn't know much about Southern fiction. So it's kind of fun right now to claim to be a Southern novelist. But I did luck into a job at Algonquin Books at some point uh, as a copy editor. So my job was reading Southern novels. And this was in the very beginning when their focus was really Southern writers and lifting up uh, short story writers and Southern novelists. So I got to know Jill McCorkle a little bit and Clyde Edgerton and um, uh, Lee Smith, and just got to connect with Southern writing. And I became fascinated with it. And I started reading Faulkner and much more of the um, Eudora Welty and the Flannery O'Connor and the Southern writers that I was getting to know. So now um, I have three books. Uh, One is a historical journey book, studying whatever happened to Virginia Dare. It's the great North Carolina mystery of history, the first colony um, uh, of English people in America. Um, it's a fascinating story of Indigenous people interacting with English people, and um, I, I just took that story and ran with it um, and uh, included memoirs. So I've always had a kind of an odd sense of form that's a little bit different from what other people do. So uh, the second book was a book of short stories. Um, And I I was putting together a different book of short stories, and I looked and saw that my um, I actually had a collection already about short stories about people moving south. So I changed the whole focus of the story collection. um, And uh, it's called Accidental Birds of the Carolinas. And an accidental bird is somebody who ends up in the South, kind of after, a um, uh, it, metaphorically after a, uh, some kind of trauma, some a kind of outsider coming to the South to find a home. So there were retirees and runaways and runaway brides and um, uh, college students, all people who, like me, had shifted their life to the South and found a home. Here, uh, and I included the story of an English explorer from history. Uh, so what I'm writing now, the the current release, is my big southern novel, uh, which is called Indigo Field. And um, it's the story that tries to connect uh, the newcomers and old-timers in a small rural community and also opens up to uh, personal uh, and Jim Crow and in indigenous history. So it's uh, it's got the voices of trees and the voices of a field and the voices of all different kinds of people merging and building to a crisis.
2: That's yes. fascinating, Found, sounds fascinating. This um, sounds like also that history kind of is the um, <clears throat> the bedrock of the stories that you write, long, short, and poetry. Do you have any tips for just doing historic, you know, historic research of the history that, uh, you know, because people, you know, what the rabbit hole is. Um, do you have any tips for <laughs> other writers? Because um, I know I've been in it quite often. I have to pull myself out by the ears a lot.
1: Boy, do, do I know that feeling. So you know, when I first was researching essays um, uh, in the early '90s about uh, uh, the historic uh, twenty nations of indigenous people in the North and South Carolina, um, and uh, so I, I what, what, one of the most Interesting and effective elements of that research was to go on site, you know, and really feel a place. Um, I am just a person who's haunted by places. And so one of the first places I went to was um, guided by a man who had made some archaeological discoveries. I went to uh, the headquarters nation, headquarters of the Tuscarora Nation in North Carolina. And it was, of course, just um, uh, had been a village. It had been a lively place. And there's documentation in um, published journals about what happened there where the where the Tuscarora War started. So I became quite haunted by that. Um, so I, I this was kind of before the internet was so vast in its availability. Uh, So I waited until later to do internet research. And during the course of writing the novel, people began to use cell phones and Google. So I had to actually follow life. It took so long to write, it took 30 30 years to write. So um, it took so long to write that I I, um, had to incorporate cell phones somehow into the story which is difficult for a lot of of writers. So I'm going down a rabbit hole right now with you. But as far as research, I did so much research, boxes. I I have not given it away or burned it. Boxes and boxes of books that I read. Um, I had done interviews as part of my journalism, as part of my um, uh, essay writing. And that all fed into the fiction and you realize one of the things as you're saying joy is there there's a place where you have to stop and especially um my my book is not historical fiction per se it is infused with history um so i included historical fact and and imagination so there's a point where you just have to kind of turn towards imagination and trust that the piles and piles of reading and internet research that you've done um, is is enough to feed you and and in the editing process i as a journalist, major you know i went back and just checked everything two or three or four times to make sure i had it right when i wanted to include factual material um, but i think if you're working from passion you know, with interest, mm-hmm. right? You 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 get it. Um, if you're working from that, your research leads you to people, and it leads you to understanding. And that, uh, rather than necessarily the logical steps that a journalist might take or historian, that is what can guide you to the best parts of your story. Excellent.
2: Excellent. Yeah, it's a labor of love, for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it yeah. certainly is. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, but before we get, um, there's so many other questions we want to ask you, but before we get too much further, um, Marjorie, I know you had a little excerpt you wanted to read for us today.
1: I'd be delighted. I will read from the very beginning where we get to kind of see the voice, um, the dominant omniscient voice that takes control of the story from time to time as we jump in and out of the characters. And I'll read uh, from the front and then just a little bit of uh, one of my main characters, the Colonel. Tucked between the Cedar River and the monstrous pines of the Ghouley Ridge lies an ancient field tangled and wild knee high with last year's scrub strewn with rocks the size of crouching men and sleeping deer its soil is deep and loamy it has been planted but never plowed it is spring and up on the ridge a breeze lifts the broad crowns of the ghouly pines releasing yellow clouds of pollen that float across the highway and come to rest on every flat surface of Stonehaven Downs Retirement Village, including the hood of Colonel Randolph Jefferson Lee's new Honda Accord. West of the ridge, across Spill Creek, the breeze raises wild bees from the hollow heart of Miss Reba's sycamore. The bees rise up from that dark cove of sweetness, hover over three strange cedar statues in the yard, then head across the creek and through the woods. They pause over Jolene Blake's tidy fields, then glimmer up the ghouly ridge and gather among the old pines humming. The ghouly pines have lived through drought and flood. They know the glaze of ice and the glimmer of sun on their cracked, cupped bark, each scale like a small ear alert for sound. The giant trunks sense the movements of vast oceans. They taste the breeze and know a storm will rise along the coast of Africa. They listen to the stories of the field. So that's the the very beginning, but I want to just bring in the Colonel for for a few lines. Um, So he's been mentioned as the guy with all the pollen on his car. Colonel Randolph Jefferson Lee, retired Army, prepares for his daily run, which he's lied about for months, telling Anne he will stay in the neighborhood. He will call her on the cell if he gets in trouble and he will keep it down to a stroll, a slow walk. No running. Rand glances guiltily at Anne sitting at the kitchen table. Her fluffy, just washed white blonde hair, her head tilted in that funny way of hers, peering through her fancy multicolor reading glasses at the paper. The lovebirds chatter in their cage next to the window. Anne's deep into her morning routine, Looking out the window now with pursed lips, something on her mind. He wonders sometimes if she thinks about Malaysia, their last posting, and all that happened there. But now she turns to the lovebirds in their cage, lifts the latch, and that mischievous grin, that morning joy, is back. God, she's a beauty. How did he ever catch a woman like her? by pretending to be a man who belonged in a place like this. So. What a
2: beautiful voice.
1: What a beautiful voice. Yeah, you know, I just got a contract for an audio book. um, And uh, it's one of the audio production places that, you know, hires actors and and I, I've been telling uh friends and 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 readers after after um after I read, I've been telling them this and they're they're they keep saying, oh, you need to read the audiobook. I'm like, well, they don't do it that way. But you know, I love to read. I really do. Mm-hmm.
0: Well it'll serve it's you well good. for all those um author readings and book signings
1: and everything. Yes, it sure will thank you so the the
2: audio book for indigo field is that what you're talking about okay so there
1: will be an audio book i'm not sure uh when it's scheduled you know it takes a little while to produce Hmm. one to find an actor and so on but um i'm excited about that i think it's my first book that's been in audio so um so um yeah, so the, all that love of nature you can see i I the place where I live is a family farm from my husband's family. It's rolling hills, pastures, and pine forests. and I've infused some of my love of that place of this place into the story. Um, and where I live I wanted to honor the, the people, the different kinds of people that I've gotten to know with my, uh, with my various um, community work that I've done and my research and so on. And I also wanted to honor the land because where I live, there are more citizen trees and fields than there are people. So the trees have a personality in the story, and they uh, they speak and they observe human humans at work, and they observe some of the trauma of the past that comes up in the story, and they um, are a big part of the crisis in the story.
2: I love that phrase, "citizen trees." That's fabulous. That's just gorgeous, citizen trees.
1: I really feel that way. You know, in my bio, it says I read poetry to trees and that is true. Um, I appreciate trees. I, we've experienced some um, terrific storms here because of, uh, you know, big shifts in in climate and um, the trees find ways to survive. For example, there's one right behind our house that I, I got to know and grew to love after a big wind tried to blow it down and instead it took one of its major limbs and plunged it five feet into the ground and held itself up that way. It lost the limb but the tree survived and so I this tree is a survivor, and I identify with that because I'm, I'm feeling like a survivor too. So.
0: Yeah, I could definitely see your that sense of deep sense of place, even in just this short excerpt. Um, it's really wonderful to see. So I know we had a lot of interesting topics to, to cover today, um, and we talked a little bit about how you, you got interested in and started writing Southern fiction as someone who wasn't born in the South, um, yeah. which is fun. Uh, I know one of the other topics you mentioned as being really important in your writing path
1: is um,
0: the support of others and finding that community. Would you like to speak yes. to that a little bit?
1: Yes, I sure would. I um I do not think I would be able to write the way I do with, you know, focused concentration and support if I hadn't moved to North Carolina. Now, I know there are other places that have wonderful support systems for writers, but um when I moved here, I thought I was the only person living in a farmhouse at the end of a dirt road who was writing poetry. I was wrong about that. There's a writer under every bush in North Carolina and and they're organized and connected. And I was just arrived in North Carolina right around the time the States created a um, a, a national organiz- a, excuse me, a statewide organization that was specifically to support writers. So I joined that organization. Um, at some point, you have to share your work Uh, I found writing groups. um, I found workshops that I could attend. And when I was, uh, I've been part, I ended up being staff at that organization and got to know even more people. um, And I've been on boards of writing organizations. And uh, the connection that people have with each other here is so particularly supportive. It's just astonishing. And I think some of the uh, very popular writers and more well-known writers here have set the pace for that. Um, but just as a as a note, uh, I also uh, I also teach, and teaching can be a support mm-hmm. system for a writer. I mean, of course, I I earn my living now from teaching, but also um, the collegiality in a writer's group. Uh, I keep my groups small. they're quite intense. Um, the joy in watching a writer thrive and change and start to publish um, the I customize my groups um, I customize my teaching based on writer requests in the group so they often ask me to do some to to teach about something that I don't yet know about. so I have to learn a lot to teach but um, what a great challenge. so um, The writing group that I had for writing Indigo Field, which was a big, long, it took 30 years, big, long, shaggy story. At one point, it was 800 pages. So my sports system um, at one point consisted of two writing groups. And one was, I called it the men's writing group the men's judges and lawyers, it just happened to consist of attorneys, judges, and um, men. And um, of course that was, they gave a perspective, really useful perspective on fiction because they were fiction writers, but also on points of, of uh, uh, fine points of legal prosecution of murder cases and so on, because there's a, a murder case in the story. Um, And then I had a women's writers group that um, was more, you know, nurturing and supportive. And yes, you know, you're going to finish this someday. Um, But it also included somebody who was a born scientist who writes murder mysteries, Karen Pullen, shout out to Karen. She taught me that I needed to cut because 800 pages was just too long. (laughs) So um, a little story about that. Another support element Um, in North Carolina that's particularly great is that there are great small publishers and I've had support for my work from small publishers here and that my current book uh, is um, with Regal House which is a woman-owned business in Raleigh that is a really interesting model different from what I've seen with small publishers and then they they create alliances with agents to sell rights. Um, So being very aggressive about selling rights, which even for New York based writers is how most people make a little bit of money from their work. So um, a community of writers, there's a writer, a poet, I go to a retreat center with that's just for North Carolina writers. It's beautiful. I was there last night doing a reading. Um, The Weymouth Center for Arts and Humanities I go every year with my poet friend, and we kind of hash out our issues and, and read each other's work. And sometimes I do tarot card readings. So uh, there, it's just—it's a delight. It's collegial. Everyone knows they need to support each other, and they do, for the most part. So, uh, so uh, it's—it's it's amazing community to live in. You've just described,
2: writing. you. I don't know if you're aware of this, but you've just described the wonderful but immersive life of a writer um, from community to research to sitting down and doing the book. And um, how yeah. do you stay on top of it all kind of in a physical, spiritual, mental, emotional sense? Because it can get overwhelming to be a Sounds like full-time writer that you are. It can be overwhelming. Do you have any, um, you know, things that spe- you specifically do to, so that you are on top of your game, like in the health area or, you know, fitness, yes. anything like that?
1: Yes, yes, I do. I I don't do as much as I should do, but um, I do uh, intensive yoga. I have a class I take every week and I do yoga stretches every morning. Because as we all know, as we get a little older, you really can't sit still and do the writing that is required of you unless you take care of your body. So I see Joy is nodding. Yes. So um, I'm very careful about that um, because like a lot of writers I know, including uh, Barbara Kingsolver, I have a little bit of back trouble. So I have a stand-up desk. So uh, I can work standing up all day long, which is great, burns a few calories. Um, I go for uh, hill walks, like three-mile hill walks, at least twice a week. I want to do it four times a week, but I don't. Um, I have a meditation practice that helps reduce the anxiety that comes from uh, the just not knowing in the creative process what you're supposed to do sometimes or how it will be received So I have that, I can go to, and um, I feel like it's good thing that I've been at this a while because it's really taught me to handle a lot of the issues that come up for writers. Um, uh, uh, Anxiety, physical stress. Um, And I do wanna tell you one fun thing is that I've started in Facebook and Instagram Um, exercise for book tour series so if you follow me on instagram or facebook my facebook author page marjorie hudson author you can see me doing jumping jacks Um, and you know squats squats and energy squats there's certain yoga poses and breathing techniques that are really good to do right before you're going to have an event and absolutely clears your mind and gives you oxygen, helps your brain to work. So, um, yeah, and I I recorded this morning, uh, my walking buddy recorded me doing um, an exercise where you twist right to left with your arms straight out to your side in front of uh, some mama and baby cows that are Part of the scenario around here, who were watching very closely, as if they might need to do that too <laughs> at some point. So I invite people to to uh, to join me, and also it's just I, I have a, a good sense of humor about myself. I'm pretty serious about my work, but I like to laugh, and so um, you know, please laugh along with me.
2: Greater wellness for the win. Go girl. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely that,
1: that's fun. I
0: found that you've made the jumping jacks part of something that's bigger than just yeah. like doing it in, in private. That's really fun. That's right. Yeah. Um, so for maybe for listeners who like you are, you know, feeling kind of isolated where they're and worried that maybe they are the only writer sitting at a far house at the end of the dirt lane. Well, spoiler, you are not. Where how might they go about trying to find their own community?
1: Gosh, yeah, Um, I I give I teach classes on this. Um, You find a community. One of the best ways is to find a um, a writing workshop, and that can be through a community college. Uh, My local community college has a creative writing program that's becoming more common. You can do it online. I like to do that kind of thing in person just because the the cues and the, the affinities are stronger in person. But you can do it either way. And then here's the strategic part. Notice the people in the group who are a little bit better at this than you are. And who you feel, if you feel an affinity for their work. For for example, if they're writing um, speculative fiction and you're writing poetry about nature, you may not have that kind of work affinity, but maybe you do if uh, how the other writer uses language is interesting to you. And then invite that person. That's what I did for my first writing group. Um, of my own, invite that person to meet with you, and maybe exchange manuscripts. Or um, and if if you really hit it off, maybe meet once a month or every other week, um, and see if you can find ways to help each other. Uh, and then think about you know expanding. Um, having your own writing group can be daunting at times. Um, because, you know, their personalities and you may not feel you're getting enough attention or, you, you know, you, you may not have leadership. leadership, groups without leadership can devolve into unhelpful situations. Um, and that's why I think it's a really good idea to have a led workshop, uh, a workshop led by an experienced writer who knows how to guide a group um, and bring out the best in everyone so but you can do these things on your own if you're you know just if you attach to one other person Uh, the first person I connected with in a writing group is has been a friend for life I got to know her uh, 30 years ago and she helped me she um, was bolder than I was and she went off to an MFA program and said Marjorie you should do this and so I kind of followed in her footsteps and then you know, she, um, she is just somebody I, I, I love to watch and learn from. And everybody, every writer should have friends, friends like that. And then um, be part of a writer's community yourself. Um, someone asked me at my launch, uh, you know, what, what is, what do we need to do to be part of a write, a writing community or be Uh, part of a literary community and contribute to that community. Well, you find ways to do it. You help other writers, be generous. You join organizations. Um, Mm -hmm. I know I'm betting that by now, North Carolina used to be one of the few places that had an organized statewide program that gave conferences and had writing groups and uh, all kinds of services. Um, I've discovered that Virginia has a Mm -hmm. group, South Carolina, you know, pretty much all over the country. I'd be surprised if almost every state didn't have one. Yeah,
0: and there are um, genre-specific writing
1: organizations as well. That's right, right, right.
2: And I noticed, Marjorie, how you um, kind of put your words where your mouth is, are, um, on your website, because that's a, a good deal of what your blog is devoted to on your website is helping other writers, supporting other writers. And I love that. But then the, another thing that's really indicative of your, uh, specialness is that you call your blog field notes. And yeah. most of us just go blog. <laughs> Yours is called field notes. How did you come up with field notes? For you know the the umbrella title of your blog, and I love it by the way, Field Notes. Yeah,
1: so um, I intended to support writers, but also to document some of the uh, changes in the uh, pastures around on our farm that are just exquisite, Um, and also uh, so literally Field Notes notes about a field, but also notes about travel and research and all those things, which is what scientists do when they're, when they're doing observation in the field. So uh, it's, um, it's uh, a little bit of a journal, a little bit of um, promoting writer friends and a little bit of um, just uh, promoting this sense of uh, my nature community. Um, I'm not as quick on, on the draw with my cell phone camera as I like to be. But so I can write about um, things that I see in the blog that I don't necessarily have a photograph for. For this morning, I saw a black vulture and a kestrel fighting over a, 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 a bit of roadkill on my road and it was just fascinating this dance of like holding back and you know you know do who gets to eat first well you know
2: um field notes what a yeah. wonderful metaphor for um you know the the life of a writer i just thought it was brilliant i love it
0: yeah. thank you Okay. yeah a nice little um kind of like tip and like think about ways you can Add your creativity um, into places maybe you wouldn't expect. Um, the way that Field Notes ties into what your your writing is really centered on, and the, not that everybody needs to name their blog something special, but like you know, mm-hmm. think about ways you can tie in your work into something where people wouldn't expect.
1: Yeah, thank you. Wow, great. I agree. So, um, gosh, we were going to talk about what it's like to publish when you're almost 70, your first novel.
0: Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about that. And the novel just released, right?
1: Yes, uh, it was uh, pub date was March 14th. So I had my launch last weekend. And boy, there are a lot of advantages of publishing a first novel when you're 70, because uh, I've been around the block. I'm not quite 70 yet. It'll be a few months, but um, I, I kind of have a good perspective um, about the big picture. You know, I kind of know how publishing works by now. I kind of know uh, the kind of work that I need to do to uh, promote my book, and I've learned how to do it, and I've learned how to give talks and read to groups and all those things. But also, um, I know a lot of people, and my my launch had more than two hundred people at it, and you know, it was in my community. I've made friends with a lot of bookstores, um, and so um, the bookstores know me, and when I give them a cold call, um, they say, oh, certainly we'd love to have you, Marjorie. You know, you know how to sell a book and you know we know you're serious about your work. And so um, I've also ha- had a chance to get to know my local bookstore very well, which is McIntyre's Books. I'm so fortunate. They have a venue which is a barn that they use for weddings, and they can seat hundreds of people in their barn. Um, I also have had the chance over time, over different parts of my life, to support my bookstore by bringing writers I'm connected to, like uh, Sue Monk Kidd and Khaled Hosseini, for community read, community wide reads, which of course uh, culminated in visits from authors which sold a lot of books, you know? And when Khaled Hosseini came uh, with the Kite Runner, um, the, I think there were 800 people in in the barn. And one of them was very, very pregnant and was lying down on the floor in front of the stage. And it was just like Woodstock. I mean, I was sure she was gonna give birth while he was reading. Um, so, I you know I've had a lot of chances to connect with people through my community work, and so I get to um, reap you know the the friendships that that I've made over time. I also at my launch, I've been in a long time yoga class. And um, my yoga class is very excited about my book. My yoga class has a bookseller in it. Um, And my yoga teacher is a friend. So she read my book and did kind of free advertising for me. And so a lot of yoga class people came to the launch. And one of them is a really good whistler. You know, those people who can whistle really loud. So all my friends were at this launch and... You know, I, I did my program. I stood there and said, you know, are there any questions? We had questions and we wrapped up and my yoga people all stood up and started to clap and whistle really loud. So I had this like moment and they didn't stop. I was starting to cry. So, you know, just you you get to reap the what the work you do to create a community that follows your work over time. So So about um,
2: connection.
1: Yeah. And and I I really love that. And I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, So uh, there's a lot of other things that are great about it. You know, of course, you've learned by now um, how to take care of yourself with the yoga and the jumping jacks. And um, one thing that's a little hard is um, I had iced my hand after signing so many books So, but I have a pretty good sense of humor about it. I said, you know, um, I'm just like the star pitcher. I have to ice my arm. (laughs) Yoga pose for that. Walking around the house, you know, um, showing off my ice. Uh, So, you know, um, I think it really, it's hard to have really good perspective as a writer because we're taught to be so attached to our work egoistically um and of course we are our hearts and souls are poured into our work and of course we're going to do that but i learned that not everybody's going to love the lovely work that i create and that's really okay with me you know i just get to create it and hope that it will be received wonderful
2: what's next on the horizon for marjorie Hudson?
1: well i have an extensive book tour so that is going to go on through the end of the year and we'll see um it's oftentimes yeah uh dc um atlanta uh you know um uh, morganton north carolina asheville north carolina greensboro north carolina winston-salem raleigh um, I have so many bookstore friends around the state, and then going south to Charleston, South Carolina, Atlanta, and north to DC. I have family in DC, so I have four actually four um, events in DC. Two are teas that are um, hosted by family members. One of whom is my 102 year old mother. We're doing this on her birthday. Wow! Um, oh. And and then, politics and prose, I'm doing sort of a drive by signing, and then an event at the Writer Center in d c with a colleague from from uh, from Regal House. I'm meeting a lot of great writers from Regal House. So we're teaming up. Who knows how long this book tour will go? Um, I'm doing a musical show based on the book. I've uh, hooked up with some music friends who are producing a show that's nine scenes and nine songs. Uh, so I, I expect that when I'm done, what I will be doing is having a nap. (laughs) And then after that, I have this cockamamie idea that I want to finish some research I started in Rome years ago, um, for a story collection or novel, not sure quite yet, which about, uh, American artists and women artists in Rome uh, in the 1800s. So that's, you know, that's my plan. I'm waiting for somebody to give me a fellowship so I can go to Rome and (laughs) learn Italian better than I know it now um, and live there for about six months. That's, That's the dream, that's the dream. Yeah, certainly a dream, <laughs> dream worthy of
0: having. Of so, there's like a lot of exciting stuff on the horizon for you.
1: It is, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I well, um, I'm. Your, your hoping, schedule is
2: on your website, isn't it?
1: It is. Yeah, you can see my okay. extensive schedule into the fall. I'm still waiting for a few things to be confirmed, but I've got um, uh, events through November right now. Mm-hmm.
2: And you want to give listeners your website address?
1: Yes, it's very easy. It's www.marjoriehudson.com. That's M-A-R-J-O-R-I-E Hudson, like the river, H-U-D-S-O-N.com. And I have an events page. And uh, that's where you'll find out if I'll be in your neighborhood. Um, I'd love to see you.
2: Connie puts it on um, the authoring on, onward Um website, right?
0: Yeah. So I'll put a link to your website so folks can go check you out and look into your book. Um,
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: So Marjorie, did you have any maybe parting thoughts or words of advice you'd like to leave listeners with?
1: Gosh, I think uh, for writers, um, when you finished your, your book, um, slow down and enjoy that and the the moment when someone says yes to you, um, in whatever form, yes, it's great. Yes, it's ready to publish. Yes, here's a contract. Um, yes, you get uh, a um, you get to come and, and read at this famous bookstore. Uh, those are moments to really cherish. There's so many nos in this business. You know, every writer knows we're all like nodding, yes, we know. And so, uh, when you get the yeses, sit down and just really let it let it sink in, because uh, they're they're so important. And consider small publishers. I've been very happy working with small publishers. For me, it's like living in a small town. Um, there, there's you get to have colleagues you get people who remember you and know you and will go the extra mile for you in ways that you may not get from a New York publisher. So.
2: Wonderful
1: advice. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Good to be here and talk to you and get to know you a little.
2: Yeah. Thanks again. It's been so lovely having you on the show today.
1: Yes. I loved it too.
2: Best wishes for everything, Marjorie. Thanks for today.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
2: I hope
0: you enjoyed this week's episode with Marjorie. And do check out the show notes for this episode and all the episodes at authoringonward.com. And we would love to hear from you. Um, You can submit a comment. Um, You can contact us on social media. And of course, at the show notes, there will be links to Marjorie's website, um, to my editorial services, and to Joy's editorial services, if you would like to get in touch and book with one of us. Until next week, happy writing!